The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 53, Aviation Accidents, How We Cope, What Keeps Us Flying, Our Picks of the Week, and more, coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast, sponsored by forpilotsonly.com. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody. Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 53. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of prop heads, starting uh, first with Mr. Carl Valeri. Uh, joining us from actually a new studio today, from what I yes. understand. <laughs> I have a, a mock up studio. I'm in the crash pad right now, just under. Uh the departure path for uh, one three left here at JFK Airport. I'm over in Queens, and I have, <laughs> I'm sitting on a chair and and I have my bag uh, on a you know one of those bag holders you get in a hotel and my laptop on top and uh, just kind of makeshift here and just hanging out with the guys at the crash pad recording uh, recording the podcast and I have uh, actually an avid podcast listener here uh, Jeff who's uh, who's here in the in the crash pad so he's pretty excited to hear this uh, next episode hopefully we'll make it good for him. Well, very good. So obviously you haven't inconvenienced him by kicking him out of the room. No, no, he's in another room. We, you know, if anybody <laughs> knows what a, a crash pad's like, it's a bunch of bunks in, in all these different rooms. He's got one of the bunks in the other room, and unfortunately, my other bunk mates here aren't aren't here right now. But uh, you know, living the dream—it's part of that whole thing. You part, know, of, part of it. So, how many? Uh, you were telling us offline. Uh, how many bunks are in your crash pad? Well, we have a—it's a, a three-room place, and it's got ten. Ten beds, you know. There's uh, four bunk beds in each room, and uh, in one of the rooms they only have two, and so uh, you know, two beds. And it's it's actually not a bad setup. Uh, some crash pads are better than others. I'm sure people out there know that. It's uh, some of the you know. Just imagine you know having ten guys in in one apartment together, and they're usually not there all the time. But we have had it where there's four or five people here at once, and he turns into a party pretty quickly. And then we start talking <laughs> bad about the company. <laughs> <laughs> no, that stuff never happens. No. Happens. Well, very cool. I'm glad that you're uh, joining yeah. us today from your uh, remote studio there. Yeah. In the, and if uh, the A380s take off, you will hear them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll stop and really? listen to that. That would yeah. be cool. Well, let's hope for that. <laughs> yes, let's we'll hope try. There's an A380 departure while we record the show. Uh, very good. Well, glad to have you here today with us, Carl. Our uh, next prop head joining us from her studio in Maryland, Miss Victoria Zyko. Welcome. Hello. Can I just say I'm all imagining right now, like all of us with no heads but props instead, and <laughs> it'd be very hard to get through doors. It would be. It would be. Even it doesn't matter which orientation that prop would be. It would be difficult in all directions. <laughs> yeah. People would get out of our way. Hats would be difficult as well. Just, just a big problem. <laughs> big problem in general. Well, you may, uh, may have to. I don't know if you're supposed to cut a cat's whiskers, uh, but you know, similarly, you could just cut it down, right? 
That wouldn't be very aerodynamic of us, would it? But you have to get through the door somehow. Well, then maybe I shouldn't have a prop head. <laughs> See, on many podcasts, this is known as a rat hole. A rat hole. Where we continue to discuss the props on our heads. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's yes. We'll just kind of like the kind of kind of like the April Fool's episode. Yeah, well, yeah, that was to painful. some degree. Um, well, very good to have you here once again. And our uh, Rick Felty joining us from his studio yep. in Massachusetts. Welcome. Hello, hello. There are no bunks in this room. That's I'm good. Glad, glad about you. that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm not living the dream, sir. No, no, you're not. <laughs> A different one, however. Yeah, yeah, different dreams. A different dream, yeah. (laughs) It doesn't involve close quarters with sweaty men. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about rat holes, anyway. Oh, Oh, hey. Uh, Wow. Historic start to this one. This one's a good one, yeah. Real good. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Monsieur Sean Moody, that's French for Sean Moody, can't be joining us this evening. He's uh, actually at work, uh, working the late shift. So it is uh, is the original four, Carl, Rick, Victoria, and myself. I'm joining you guys from the uh, temporary world headquarters here outside of the Chicago suburbs. Once again, recording from my... uh, favorite bar so everything is all set up here and and we're we're good to go let's do the pre-flight we have an interesting topic today it's actually maybe more of a uh, sobering topic a more serious topic but you know in light of recent events which we'll uh, we'll speak upon here in a few minutes uh, it seemed like a good idea to kind of have a discussion about how we cope with certain things that happen in aviation um, but before we do get started there is one quick announcement an announcement that I've made on the uh, last couple of shows. We are hosting a uh, online conversation about your favorite one hundred dollar hamburger location. Be it uh, the um, the food, the airport, the type of approach, whatever reason you felt that it was your favorite, you can visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash Ben Burger, and you'll be redirected to the online conversation that we're having. We had some interesting responses, uh, some folks sharing things with us about their favorite place for breakfast and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, head on over there and join the conversation. We're, we're looking to share those in a future episode, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, may, not really a second announcement, but more of an update. We actually, I didn't actually get a chance to share, but we had a really fun meetup uh, for our 50th episode, our 50th bash out at Pilot Pete's in Schaumburg, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I can't wait to hear how that went. Yeah, it we've, was... We've not talked about it. We, no, we haven't. No, it was, uh, it was a very large group of people that uh, came out to play that day from... Um, most of them actually ended up driving. We had a lot of... Uh, there were some thunderstorms in the area in the area that day, so some folks that had intended to fly ended up driving in, um, and it was really cool. We had... Uh, obviously cake, which I, th- I think I, I don't know if, uh, if everybody saw the picture, but the cake came out amazing. Like I ordered this cake and the woman was like, could, would you like anything on it, a logo or anything? And I was like, actually, I didn't know you could do that. So I sent her our logo. And, uh, if you visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash five zero fifty, the number 50, that's uh, a link to the 50th episode. I actually posted the the image of the cake up there it came out pretty cool but we had cake and gift bags uh stickers um magnets uh the folks uh, rod rackick over at open airplane threw in some stickers our friends over at midwest flight lines 
uh, com. John Kessinger threw in some items there. The guys over at uh, Aviation Universe uh, threw in some, uh, geez, they threw in all kinds of cool things, some, some little LED flashlights. They threw in some coupons for the folks that attended the event, uh, some discounted coupons. So it was really cool. We had a great time. We were there for a couple of three hours or so, uh, just, you know, hanging around and shooting the bull. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's it was, a cool looking cake, though. I mean, that was awesome. I just looked at it. Was, oh, yeah, I could I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe how amazing it looked. I was like, <laughs> we were driving there, and my girlfriend's laughing at me because I've got this cake in my lap, and I just have this grin from ear to ear, and I'm like, you know, so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, this cake is amazing. I'm uh, texting photos to everybody that I know. I'm like, look at this cake, look at this cake. But anyway, nevertheless. Um, like I said, we, uh, we do have an interesting conversation today. And before we do get into that, I'd like to just take one quick moment to hear from a word from our sponsor. When iPad pilots think of efficient cockpit management, there's only one name to know. Forpilotsonly.com. Whether you fly with an iPad or iPad mini, we have a full line of kneeboard and yoke mount options that will help you optimize your time in the air. At 4pilotsonly.com, every product is engineered and manufactured in the USA, and our forever guarantee against damage is the strongest you'll find anywhere. If your iPro Aviator or iPro Navigator is damaged, even if it's your fault, we'll repair or replace it for free. Forever. If you're an iPad pilot, remember our name, 4pilotsonly.com. Now entering cruise flight. And we're back. So we actually were talking, uh, you know, talking offline. Victoria kind of came up with, the, with this topic. Um, sort of like I was saying before, uh, before we did get started, that it was kind of a more serious conversation. But it sort of, it sort of comes from aviation accidents and, uh, you know, fatalities with friends, relatives, any, you know, that kind of stuff. Victoria, tell us a little bit more about you know the the thoughts and why you came up with this uh, this discussion, and then we'll kind of we'll we'll, we'll kind of get into it. Okay. Um, well, what got me thinking about this, and it wasn't uh, the best weekend for me. It was the weekend of uh, June twenty second, I believe. Um, Friday, I learned that there was a air, a fatal airplane crash at the airport. I used I did all my training at. So I went and looked it up just out of curiosity because I know all us pilots, when we hear about a crash, we love to go look at it and dissect it and figure out what happened and um, things like that. So I looked up the crash and I immediately knew the end number. It was an airplane I used to fly at my flight school on a regular basis. Um, It had crashed and killed four people uh, right after takeoff. And the video was very sobering to look at when it was um, an airplane you have flown before. Now this is the second airplane that I have flown that has actually crashed and killed people. Um, I immediately (laughs) called my flight instructor and made sure he was okay, that he was not in the aircraft. Uh, Luckily, no employees were in the aircraft of the flight school. Um, But uh, I usually hate it when people call me if there's a crash nearby they immediately call me and make me sure I'm okay so he probably didn't appreciate that because I don't appreciate it I think people (laughs) don't think my skills are that great when they're like was that you are you okay yes I'm fine um so seeing that you know it, it did wig me out a little bit and then 
the very next day, Bob Turbo and I flew to the beach and we're having a wonderful time when my friend called me and he said, have you turned on the news? And I said, no, what's going on? I'm on the beach. I'm away from, you know, the world. What's happening? And he said, Jane crashed today. Um, I don't know if you guys know of Jane Wicker. She was a wing walker for the Flying Circus. Um, she did Jane Wicker air shows. She was a special guest at Fly It Forward two years in a row. The most amazing woman who was just totally excited to spread aviation, the word to these women who attended our events. She was just the most gracious, wonderful woman, amazing to talk to, very encouraging. So hearing that, and especially after what happened Friday, it just, it took my breath away and I did not know what to think. And that aviation curiosity came back to me and someone had forwarded me the link and I was curious and I had to look at the link of the video. I just had to. And the moment I did, I, I regretted it because when you, it's different when it's someone you don't know, mm -hmm. but when it's someone, you know, um, I couldn't get that image out of my head and we had to fly back home. So I had to get back into an airplane with this knowledge. And Bob handed me the flight controls and said, you can land. And I said, okay. Um, I was getting a little high and fast because I was obviously just emotional at that point. And I said, no, take the controls, take the controls. And so he started the land. And at the last minute, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take the controls and I'm going to land this airplane because that's what's going to make me feel better. If I can land this airplane, you know, maybe everything will be all right. So <laughs> I took the controls from him again on final, probably not the safest thing. And I made a landing. Um, I used up most of the runway, but I did it. And, you know, I did feel somewhat better after, you know, all that I heard about this weekend and seeing those crashes, you know, I made a safe landing and I was proud of that. Uh, but long story short, it got me thinking about, you know, at some point we're all going to lose someone in an aircraft accident. It's just bound to happen. It's such a small community. How do you move on and how do you continue after that? Right. So, I mean, Tut, so far, I mean, this is a recent event. What have, I mean, take us through your, your process and then each one of us can talk about our own individual experiences. But, uh, how have you started to sort of process through uh, these personal tragedies? You know, I'm not sure, actually. That's kind of why I wanted to pose the question to other people. Um, I think I still fly because I enjoy it. We're flying this weekend. I was supposed to fly last weekend. But it does make you think twice. But when you're thinking twice, you know, should I really fly? It's, it can be dangerous. Something could go wrong. Well, something could go wrong if I stepped outside, you know, a, a tree could fall on me. I could drive to work one day and get hit. So should I stop something that I'm so passionate about because I lost someone who was doing what they were passionate about? So I hate to say that they died doing what they enjoyed. They, you know, they didn't want to die that day, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. they, would have, they would have not flown if they knew that was going to happen. However, they were happy. They were doing something they enjoyed, and I'm sure that they have lost people in their lives, and they continued flying. Mm -hmm. And um, another wing walker at Jane's Memorial, um, which unfortunately I couldn't make it to, um, she wing walked at her memorial. So that shows incredible strength and in the fact that people are willing to go on. So I think 
I think I fly, I'll fly in those people's memories. Very good point. Uh, you know, and you and I were actually texting a little bit uh, about a week or so ago, kind of relating to this uh, this darker topic, if you will. And, you know, just recently in uh, national media attention was the uh, Asiana uh, Boeing 777 uh, crash in San Francisco. And one of the things that really just strikes me as a key point is that we do the best that we can to operate these aircraft safely. We stay proficient. We keep up on the uh, information as far as learning new things and whatnot. But what you have to, and I know I said this to you, Victoria, and you agreed with me, but mm-hmm. you know what we have to sometimes remind ourselves of is that flying is a very highly volatile activity. You're in a, you know, you're in this contained environment with a controlled explosion, you know, in your engines, high above the Earth's uh, surface in the uh, thin atmosphere, and any number of malfunctions or, you know, anything could, you know, could pose a, a large risk. And so I have to remind myself that, you know, when flying a general aviation aircraft or flying the jet at work, that to never become complacent because this is just a very... Uh, by nature, inherently a very risky endeavor. Um, obviously, there's been large advances in safety that make it uh, that minimize the risk. Again, with proficiency and training and ongoing, um, fl- you know, keeping yourself comfortable in the aircraft, those things mitigate risk. But there's it's not a zero risk activity, and that's you know that's one of the big things that I always have to remind myself of. Uh, what about you, Carl? Have you ever actually you were talking about it? I don't know how comfortable you felt, but you have lost uh, some people that you've known um, in a, a fatal injury due to a, a plane crash. Yeah, I've actually, um, yeah, it, it's you know it's not it's kind of tough sometimes to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's still the thing with Jane resonates in my head. I still haven't been able to watch any of the interviews I've done with her especially the one video one it's it's but you have to get back on the horse at three you. i mean it's either emotionally or physically and um you know i i think when i when i look back at like the fir- first plane crash where i lost a friend it was the chief pilot and the person that worked the front desk who was a student of the chief pilot they had crashed and uh they both did not survive and that was the first time i was exposed to having somebody really close to me you know having going from one funeral to the next and I was going from funeral to funeral, and I, and I you know, said to myself, you know, I could stop right now and, and have a, a life devoid of risk, but I'm not going to you know, stop living and, uh, so that I can have a life that is devoid of risk. I, I'm going to try to mitigate those risks as much as possible because this is an endeavor I love doing. I love flying. And then fast forward 10 years later when I was with a student and had, you know, had an engine uh, failure, which we were able to get the engine back to about 1,000 RPMs, and as we're going down, I look down, and this is the strangest thing. I'm looking at the spot where another person I know was killed in a plane crash, and that's where I was going to land. Oh. It, was, it was so surreal of an experience. We did make it back to the airport, luckily, to the runway and land, but my, my, I had a tough time getting back in the airplane and flying again. And my student, he finished his license, went on to get his glider certificate, and then he stayed in aviation, but he became an air traffic controller again, Maybe I, I never had this discussion with him. I'd love to talk to him about it. Maybe he decided to go the route of of less risk being on the ground as opposed to being in the air. 
But I, I think we all have those moments in our lives where we have something really scary happen, and then we say to ourselves, you know, how do I need to, to step away from this and never do it again? And uh, I, I tell you, my, my biggest fear isn't so much getting killed in a plane crash, is that after I'm, I'm killed in a plane crash is to have my family sure. or friends look at it and say, hey, listen, I told you, you shouldn't have been flying, yeah. and, and the grief that they would have more so. You know, and I, I don't. You know, I hope I, I that never happens. But if it does, I'm doing something that I truly love, and I know that's true of, of mm-hmm. Jane. I keep thinking about Jane too. Is she was doing something she truly loved when when she lost her life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you bring up an interesting point, and I did, I did want to. I know you weren't actually inferring this uh, or, or making reference to it in any way, but let's just also say that if somebody did experience a tragedy in their life and they chose no longer to pursue their flying or, or related aviation thing, I personally, I wouldn't think twice. I wouldn't think badly of them that they were no, quitting or hanging up the hat. I mean, you you know, everybody has their threshold, their tolerance, what they're willing to accept, what they're willing to not, depending on how deeply it, uh, an incident, an accident, a tragedy hits you. Uh, you know, you may quit entirely. You may just take a extended break to, to process and decompress. But yeah, and like I said, I know you weren't saying that, Carl, but I think it's important to also mention if something mm-hmm. tragic happens, um, if I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad if somebody decided they wouldn't want to do it. And if somebody, you know, if you are that person that makes a decision where you no longer want to continue flying, don't feel bad about it. You know, you have your reasons and one day you may wake up and decide you're comfortable with it again and or you're interested in trying it again under a different circumstances, controlled environment with a CFI, you know, starting build yourself back up. By all means go for it, but you should never you, know, you should never really um, feel bad about uh, uh, I always say, who cares what somebody else thinks of me to tell you the truth? What you think of me is none of my business. So, you know, just take care of yourself. What makes you feel comfortable is really what's most important. How about uh, yourself, Rick? Have you ever been uh, involved with uh, a aviation-related tragedy that may have affected you on a personal level? Well, I guess the, the quick answer is that is it not directly, not, not um, someone I've known well or... Um, or sort of even in my presence, you know, I haven't had a situation that was direct, you know, directly. And so if I think about it, from my point of view, what there's a couple of things I think about. One is that depending on the, you know, immediately, I, you know, we all sort of are, though we want to be cautious about letting everyone figure out what's happening in a certain situation, I, I immediately want to know, okay, what was that about? What, what can I learn from that? And, and if I, if I don't know much and if it doesn't seem similar to the flying I do, then, you know, even the end, if I didn't know the person, so there's a lot of qualifiers there, but it, so those things don't directly affect my concern about flying. Um, especially if, well, you know, all those things, or maybe I, I can perceive uh, that, that it seems as though it, it wasn't clearly a, a, you know, an equipment failure that there was something done wrong or risk taken and overloading a, a fuel, you know, running out of fuel, things that seem to be, okay, choices that are made. Um, you know, I'm going to try not to make those choices. And those are things within my control to mitigate my risk. So, so that I don't worry, you know, those don't, those kind of incidents don't make me worry about it. Um, you know, sort of things like engines out and, and other, um, failures that you, that you try to, you know, mitigate, but 
could still happen. Um, you know, that would probably that would probably throw me a bit more. And there hasn't really been anything like that, you know, close enough to the GA kind of flying I do and close enough to me that has caused me to have, um, you know, real concerns. I, I, I think about it. I mean, I think I'm one of the people that, I mean, my challenge, at least how it feels to me, is that I sometimes take the risk too seriously. And I don't know, there, there probably isn't such a thing. But what I mean by that is that it sometimes if I sit and think about my 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 thing I've most observed over the few years I've been flying is that the planning to fly involves thinking a lot about risk situations, weather, equipment. You know, checking it out. There's a lot of of um, dealing with the potential for problems, so that you so that you don't face them. And and what my problem with that is, I think so much about those things that sometimes. I go, okay, wait a minute now, <laughs> is this fun? Am I, you know, I'm, I'm gotta, I want to go have fun. And, and, and I actually have time at times, I back away from flying on certain days when maybe I shouldn't and I should test the edges that are safe, you know, but I overdo it. So I guess I am always thinking about the, the, the risk involved and I don't take it lightly. And so it's kind of always there as a concern. And then once I'm doing it, you know, once I'm pushing the throttle forward and I'm, I'm, I'm flying, it's all, it's cool. And, and I know what I'm doing and I feel comfortable and it's all great. Sometimes it's just getting to that point. Um, cause I'm thinking so much about X, Y, and Z going wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? So it's, I, I, I sometimes have to go, you know, be looser about it because <laughs> on my side, that's how I have to kind of think about it. Not don't take risks, but, um, try to find the enjoyment part of it. But no, I mean, I, I think if it, I think what would hit me hardest is, um, a situation either close to where I'm at physically to the type of plane I fly and that was something that appears from a distance to have been, you know, a fate thing, you know, not a choice, not a bad maneuver by somebody, but just, man, that, that was a bad day, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, that would, that would be an interesting thing to go, to go through and be hit that hard with, especially if somebody I knew, uh, but I haven't had that yet. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I won't. Well, you're, go ahead. Uh Going back to what you said about um, learning from the reports and trying to dissect what happened, I think yeah. that's something that a lot of us pilots automatically do. I know um, mm -hmm. yeah. when I posted the article of the flight school crash um, of the plane I used to fly, people immediately started jumping on on Facebook and writing what they thought went happened. And I know the same thing happened with Jane's incident, but the difference was... Um, where I, I was often agreeing in my head with what they were saying about the flight school incident, since I knew Jane and I'm hearing people, you know, blame the pilot or guessing at what happened with Jane's crash, I was more sensitive to it and I was more offended and I wanted to be like, people, they have families, let's let the NTSB decide. Um, is anyone else sensitive like that? Do you find yourself thinking that maybe when I look at these crash reports, I should be a little more gentle in my assumptions of what happened and leave it to the professionals? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think we all, I mean, I, I strongly agree that. I mean, I definitely, we, we all talk about it and it's a matter of how public you talk about it. And even if I talk about it publicly or privately, it's, it's always qualified with, look, I have no idea what probably happened there. Mm -hmm. I can just look for potential clues that might indicate it. But of course, that could still not be true. And, and in many cases, like the, like the accident you're, you're speaking about, I, you know, I did see that video as well. And I know nothing about that kind of flying. So as I watched it, I went, I'm not going to even wade into that one, you know, because I don't, 
I don't know enough to, to, to guess. Um, you know, there are some situations, some crashes you can watch, you know, if there's video of them or you've heard about them where it's much more like the flying you do and you know it and you maybe have a little better sense of what might have been going on. And even then, you're right, you should qualify your, I think, your, your opinions because until, you know, someone really looking at all the parts of it, you, you, you don't know. And there is a process to follow, you know, to, to figure it out. And I'd have to agree with that, uh, Rick, because, you know, just from my own experience, I I had a uh, someone I had taught was killed in a plane crash. Uh, but that same airplane I was involved with in an incident prior to that. And while being interviewed with the FAA, I, you know, during this process, we would I sat there thinking, gee, you know, people don't hear what I'm telling you. And they're all out on the Internet making all these assumptions. And some people start putting blame in areas and we all try to figure things out, so I can kind of understand that, that have nothing to do with the actual accident. The, the incident that I had is not anywhere related to the incident which actually killed this individual, but it, it, the only similarity was it was the same engine that failed, you know, that type of thing. And so people start going after you and saying, hey, it's your fault. And you see this all the time in the news is that we, we try to jump to judgment quickly because we want to know. We crave to know. It, when we have a tough time dealing, I think, with the unexplained. And, and that, that's hard to put together. So I, I think that, that was a good point, both Rick and, and Victoria. Is that you really you have to be more sensitive, I think, to, to what's going on. And, and you don't know all the facts. You know, you can, it's all conjecture until you're actually there. And you weren't there in the airplane. And that's and, what I and, try to remind myself. And, you know, and we're human, right? So there's mm-hmm. errors. We, everybody sure. makes mistakes at some point. So even if it turns out in a certain situation someone made a mistake, you know, I know I've made them and I've, they've, been, they've been okay mistakes. They've been safe, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's, you know, so I totally cut, you got to cut people slack. I mean, there, you do see some stuff that you can quickly in your mind go, okay, that was not smart. But right. I'm not talking about these situations, but, you know, there's videos and things you see like, okay, yeah. I would never have put myself in that situation. But even so, humans, you know, I mean, I feel, uh, I've, I do, I know we're talking about the the 777 recently and I'm, you know, we're not, we don't need to get into that because that's not what we're talking about specifically, but I feel bad for the, the, the pilots involved there right now because not only is their judgment, it's just they're just they're people, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 they're part of a process. And who knows what happened? And I and I you know want to give them the benefit of the doubt f- for sure forever, you know. And two, you know, again, let's let I I have compassion for them because they were not trying to do what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. That wasn't their goal. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened, you know. So anyway, just and, the human, th- just human thing, you know. That's something that you and I specifically have talked about uh, with the. Asiana accident, just in in general, that um, there's so much scuttlebutt out there about, oh, it was this, it was that, and blah, 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 and, and it's exactly what Victoria said, you know, you have to kind of let due process take its form and let the facts be collected, you know, I... It was funny because you asked me, you know, what, what what are the professionals saying? What do you think? And I was yeah. like, well, judging by all the nonsense online, nothing intelligent. Right. And that's absolutely what I meant by it because it was clearly too, I mean, I, we're all very curious and we'll talk. But, you know, it was, it was clearly uh, a particular incident where you just, it's just one of those things where you really need to wait for the facts to be able to read and digest and understand. And everybody's brought up some really great points here, especially the points that, you know, that we can learn from these items. We can learn 
by reading the reports. And yes, we are all human, and yes, we all do mistakes. A lot of times what I find is when I've seen something that uh, not uncommon to what you were talking about, Rick, maybe whether you thought it was foolish or something that you would never do, you thought what you, you coined, used the term risky. It's interesting to think, you know, I like to step out of my own shoes and think about that person and say, what led them down a path of this decision and that decision that ended up, you know, causing or leading to this accident? And it's really interesting because you never really know. Right. Um, it could have been something they were missing in training. It could have been, uh, you know, an incident where, yeah, maybe maybe sometimes, uh, you know, you do a daredevil thing or you push the envelope a little too much. You, you never really know. But that's one of the things, you know, I like to find out what the facts are before I really even start thinking about it. Um, that, yeah. that's, a, that's a good point. I was, I was writing online today to a couple of people who were, uh, maybe it was yesterday, going on about the media coverage of this and we don't have to get completely off into this media area but I would say that it seems to me that one of the challenges of this 777 situation is um, it's it, it in many in this case it it appears to media um, that it should be a pretty simple thing to figure out because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff still intact um, from the equipment to the people and there's you know a lot of data and there's 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 eyewitnesses there's visual so that you you look at that one as opposed to say a plane that goes down in the Atlantic Ocean and sinks and and you know you know poof uh, it you know that that people are willing to maybe back up in that case and say well, they don't know. They'll figure it out. Who knows? And there's a little bit of speculation, but it's way less intense than I think what's happening now, which is, oh, it's obvious. Look, because, right. you know, it should be obvious. Well, it, it's not. It's the same no, situation, yeah. and we got to go through it slowly. But the, you know, and then there's the media cycle and the churn for information and all. That's just a bad part of our culture right now anyway. <laughs> so it's just unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that is a whole nother tangent for a whole yeah. nother show, if you will. Um, you know, I have... Um, uh, my flight student, I call him my grandchild, but but my flight student taught another gentleman how to fly. Uh, we're all very, very close friends. So that's why I call him my grandchild. So he was working at a, uh, at a flight school, a very um, well-known flight school. I just put it at that. And uh, a very, very close friend of his was killed in a... Um, was fatally injured in a mid-air collision during a training cycle. And he was, um, my friend, was very much affected by this, not only because he was very close with this gentleman. It was a very, 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 it was like one of his best buddies that he hung out with all the time. Um, but, you know, he's telling me the story. He's like, he wasn't even supposed to be there that day. He went to a different airport to fill in for another guy. It wasn't even his student. It wasn't even his flight. It wasn't even the place he worked out of. And it's kind of like what you said, Rick. It was just a bad day. For whatever reason, the series of events lined up, led, uh, you know, led to this particular mid-air collision. And uh, all the occupants in both aircraft were fatally injured. And my friend mm. was just, I mean, he was bothered by this for a very, very long time. Um, and, and understandably so. And something I've never, I certainly have never shared on the podcast, and I don't necessarily know who of my co-hosts are kind of aware, but there was um, an accident that I was uh, a passenger in. Um, and with uh, regards to the event and the privacy of the, the, uh, the people involved, uh, I'm not going to divulge any extra information, but 
for um, for lack of better terms, it was it was what you would call a hard landing. Um, I was not pilot in command; I was a passenger. Um, but for from looking from it from the outside, it was still you know it's kind of one of those con- controlled flight and terrain. It was a collision with the ground. We ripped the landing gear off. We destroyed the engine, bent the prop. Um, fuel was leaking out of the aircraft. And the first thing out of my mouth was, is everybody okay? Okay? You know, and I get the response, yes, yes, yes. You know, there's, nobody's hurt. Nobody's hurt. We get out of the airplane. We see it's leaking fuel. We're like, all right, get the hell away from this thing. And that afternoon, you know, we're kind of playing the series of events over in our in our head. How did, how did this happen? Um, how did this situation occur? And <clears throat> I can tell you that, I, it's funny because another person asked me about this. How did how did you just get back in an airplane? How did it not bother you? And they couldn't understand me, couldn't understand my rationale. And you know, that while I was not trying to play this off as just hey things happen, I was at least aware that over thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours and years of flying, it's not uncommon for one of us to experience something, whether it's an incident or an accident. And, you know, when I kind of digested it from that perspective that, hey, these things just happen. They don't happen to bad people. They happen to good people as well. Things just happen. I was able to be, I was sort of able to uh, find closure in the situation. Um, And it didn't, uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily bother me. Um, There's not really, I was going to, I was trying to think, you know, if there's certain phases of flight that uh, I, I've never, I never really have flashbacks of it, um, of of the occur, you know, the occurrence. But it's sort of just, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was fortunate. Maybe I was just able to digest the information and move past it. But it wasn't something that uh, that bothered me or you know made me think twice about my own endeavors flying. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my own personal experience with mm. with something. You know. To, to add to that, Lynn, you know, you, you had this experience. It never stopped you, but say somebody else had that same experience and it stopped them or they knew somebody that had died in the plane crash or whatever, got hurt. Um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, if you're into aviation, how do you explain that to somebody like their best friend was, was killed in a plane crash? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, gee, you know, I, I don't know the, the whole surrounding, you know, the evidence there and, and, you know, kind of like what you were talking about in generalities, you know, I don't know the specifics, but gosh, you know, that some things, like you said, that some things happen and, and it's like a car crash, mm-hmm. you know, you, it happens every so often. Well, it's, it's fake. Right. And I don't know if in this case, if I'm going to say something that applies to your situation, but if I was in that situation uh, or something like it, I might um, pretty much have a sense of maybe what happened, at least from my perception. Mm-hmm. And therefore, no, is that a, a situational risk I put myself in because of other factors, or was it a was it a you know a, a, a control you know a control of the plane situation that that I know at least how to deal with or how to stay away from kind of thing? I mean, because if some of it's about can I do this, can I fly this thing, and can I make the right decisions, and will I be safe? Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is then the other factors, environmental and otherwise, the you know checking checking the all the details of the of the plane before takeoff and as well as making decisions about the environment all that that's within your control as well it's the uncontrolled stuff that you know you can't control so you, you can't worry about it or if it's if it hits close to home the that that surprise uncontrolled stuff could 
be a challenge, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but anyway, so in your case, I, I, I can imagine why it, you were able to move past it, potentially because you, you had a sense of maybe why that why you know why you could manage I, around uh, that in the future maybe that yeah. and you can't talk about it so and I don't want you to no but, and yeah and, and like I said with respect for the parties involved yeah. um, and that's why I've, I'm speaking in generality but sure. I, you know you you actually you're talking about this and it's occurring to me that that is probably a very large part of it um, was was knowing situationally what was happening you know the outcome and. Yeah. you know what what happened now was it unavoidable i almost think it probably wasn't to be absolutely mm-hmm. honest okay. it's one of those uncontrollable environmental things uh-huh. that happen right I uh, hear and so you go okay now i'm going to make sure that that as much as i can i i'm either able to deal with a certain amount of environmental risk right. built in or or not or i or i'm careful to not put myself you know i'm i'm the greenest one here and i really make choices still that are that are fairly conservative because i don't i don't need to fly i want to enjoy flying mm-hmm. and i don't want to put myself or the plane or passengers at, at any more risk than i need to so my choices are pretty safe and i and i uh, you know the people i fly with kind of feel the same way we're we're we're, you know, we look carefully at it and we don't just throw caution to the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, actually brought up a really good point. Like I said, uh, it was probably the fact mm-hmm. of my level of awareness that uh, helped me process it. Um, right. And, and yeah, it was an interesting, wow. it was just an interesting experience all around. There was a lot to learn from it. Um, to, <laughs> to, to qualify the level mm-hmm. of impact, uh, the ELT was activated um, my butt left an impression in the seat in metal. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it was a, it, a sudden, uh, and quick impact. Um, but once, you know, once, like I said, everybody was okay and we walked away and we're like, a few expletives <laughs> were shared and we're like, <laughs> I can't, I can't believe that just happened. Um, you know, just talking through it and processing it um, mm-hmm. from person to person, kind of, kind of got us all through. Um, and yeah, and it's, 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 it's not something that that prevented me, thankfully, from uh, from wanting to fly anymore. That being said, you know, it does again as one of those things I was talking about previously earlier in the show. It's just a reminder of how volatile flying is, no matter what the precautions are that you take. Rick, you're very cautious, like you said, because. You're uh, one of the one of the um, least timed pilots. That doesn't mean you don't have uh, less experience. You just have less flight time. You've been right. exposed to less stuff, but that doesn't have really no reflect on your experience. You know, strange things happen. So. I, I see people with my level of experience who, in my opinion, take more risks, and so I'm I'm kind of glad I don't. It's what I feel comfortable with, and. Uh, but you know, and you and you push that edge as you want to, and all that. So, um, but yeah, I do. I I'm you know cautious about it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. very good, uh, Carl. You had something you wanted to add. Yeah, well, it's a question too to the group and and to the listeners. You know, what do you do in this case where you have a crash, say, or somebody knows somebody that was involved in a crash? You know, how do you, how do you explain this to other people and and try to bring them into aviation or or Say there's somebody that's a uh, you know a nervous flyer already, and you know 
yeah, their feelings are their feelings. It's, uh, you know, what, how do you deal with it? I know how I deal with it. You know, I understand their, their feelings. You know, I have a, you know, my, my girlfriend, she won't go flying much with me because of the fact that her dad was supposed to be in a plane that crashed and everybody on the plane was killed. But sometimes, you know, I try to explain it because I've looked up the NTSB reports, et cetera. And I said, well, this is what I think happened and, and this is what they said happened. And I agree with the report, but they don't want to listen to that. And, mm-hmm. and they just say, well, all flying is dangerous, that type of thing. So, I mean, have you ever had that incident? And how, how would you suggest dealing with those type of things? Not just, I mean, this is one specific example, but there's, this happens, happens often to me. You know, it's uh, where I have to explain, to them, you know, it's not, it's not as risky as you think, but there are risks involved in these right. what they are. You right, know? right. I actually have a go-to answer for that because um, mm-hmm. I've gotten that question many times from friends, especially they, the, the, the most common was, well, what happens if your engine quits? I think that's the one everyone gets most. Um, yep. But what I always say is training. I have been through training. Um, throughout all this training, regardless of the ratings, they prepare you for emergencies. Um, half the training is emergencies. We practice what happens if an engine goes out. We practice what happens if, you know, something gets stuck. You know, we are practicing and we are training. And I always emphasize that word training. I've been through training, so I am prepared to make the best decisions when something happens. And usually they accept that answer. They're still a little scared, but they know that that pilot behind Mm -hmm. the, behind the yoke has had training and is prepared to hopefully react properly to a situation that can be fixed. That makes sense. I mean, it's, uh, you, you know, and it's funny you said that because I, when I get that question, I just tell people, well, we'll just glide to a landing. You don't actually need the, the engine just gets you to your destination. Mm-hmm. You don't need that to fly the airplane. It's, it's a glider without the, with the engine going and we just glide and, and land. That's all. But that's good. I like that whole training thing. I have to say that to I'll add that to my my. I spiel. do mention the gliding too, but that's part of your training. <laughs> you get your best yeah. glide speed. That's your training. So, um, you know, it's it should be automatic. The second something sounds funny, go to glide speed. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully, if something ever happens to me, that that training kicks in. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to generalize. Yeah. I, but I you think, know, sometimes I, I get the opposite. That. Go ahead. All right, I was I was saying I don't no, want to generalize, but I think sometimes that, I get the opposite too. <laughs> we just keep talking over each other. I think All there's right. an internet lapse. Yeah, there is definitely. So what I was going to say is I, uh, uh, um, you know, speaking in generalities, you probably will resort to your training. Um, it just depends on the experiences you've previously had, the level of training. I'm not even talking about the level or quality, but you you know sometimes we have to just go out and practice things that aren't normal for flight training like um doing power off actually that's not even that's a poor comment but you know just going out and keeping recurrent with those uh with those particular tasks and those items i've had um know, carl you probably resorted to your training when you had that engine failure and you remembered you know the procedures and one of the things um you know, I've had in a in a Seminole. I haven't had the engine in a multi-engine quit on me, but we bent one of the rocker arms in the engine, and the engine essentially started running rough and wasn't producing full power. And at first, I wasn't sure what happened, but I can recall that the 
training that I received and the knowledge that I had about aircraft systems, I mean, it just kind of, it just goes, boom, straight into effect. And it's really interesting. I made a comment on Twitter a very long time ago, but something along the lines that, you know, every takeoff expect um, an abort and every landing expect a go around. And it's funny because every time I pull out on the runway, I recite the abort procedure in my head and I recite all of the mandatory abort items that I should see on, <clears throat> excuse me, the the, uh, the screen and the jet. Same thing coming in for landing, you know. I'm thinking in my head, okay, what's the procedure for a missed approach, a go-around? And uh, it's just kind of, it's just how I personally keep myself feeling comfortable and not f uh, not feeling stale. Carl, yeah, what were you that you were trying to say anyway? <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that, that sometimes you, you get the opposite reaction when you're flying with somebody who gets, I think, overconfident in your skills. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting there saying, oh, well, you have like nine, ten thousand 10,000 hours, and, you know, what could go wrong? You know, that type of thing. It's like, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to scare the president, but you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, every day is different. Every flight is different, and you're, you're brought different challenges on each flight. Absolutely. And you, you try to be as careful as you can, and, uh, you, you know, you, you plan for the worst, and you hope for the best, that type of thing. And, I tell you, a lot of the guys I fly with that are general aviation pilots, they, uh, they do that. They're constantly thinking about mm -hmm. where to land the airplane next in case something happens. And you're you know, flying a twin-engine plane, and it probably isn't going to happen, but you never know. You never right. know. When, right. when, you, uh, when something happens, you have that out. But, uh, but yeah, I, th I think that it's this is a, a really interesting conversation. You know, we could go on for hours, actually, talking about all these different instances. And I, I think it's tough to – I personally – had a tough time getting back in aviation after having a, a that that incident. I thought I was dealing with it fine, then found out that I I was grinding my teeth at night uh, because of that, and it took like three days to really get back in the groove. and And any time the engine sputtered a little, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, it was tough to to relax again. But uh, we all mm -hmm. we all deal with those stresses in different ways. Absolutely. Do you find that um, this is going to be horrible that I'm going to relate something to Top Gun, but when <laughs> When Goose died, uh, what's his face said, "Get him back in the air," mm -hmm. and you know, oh, yeah. to have that mm -hmm. confidence for a while. And um, for once, I feel like Maverick. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like you just got to get back in the air, and you don't have the confidence for a while, but you can you can build it back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was oh, good yeah. in, yeah, in telling so. telling your story uh, about landing. It was good you landed. You know, and, and I probably would have been in your situation going, no, you do it. And then, I, and then you think ahead to, okay, now he lands that plane and I haven't done it. Now, when do I get back up there? You know, how, isn't that going to be, even be harder? I think it was just good that you went ahead and did it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so. you know, and, and kind of in closing, what Carl was saying about whether you have 100 hours or 10,000 hours, um, you know, every day is different. Every flight, there's his kind of a funny quote, you know, People make a comment about uh, police officers and how traffic stops are routine, and a police officer would tell you there's nothing routine about a traffic stop. And it's the same thing. You know, you could fly the same airplane out of the same airport from A to B or just do pattern work, and every single time it's going to be a different experience, whether it's weather, um, air traffic control concerns, other, other things going on. It is never the same. So whether you have 100 hours or you have 10,000 hours, no matter what license you have, whether it's a private or an ATP, that license is a license to learn. It's a license for knowledge and experience. Hopefully your, uh, your experience will help you in the event of an emergency 
and the, uh, you know it doesn't end up in a fatal accident. But uh, these have been all really, really good points and good things to be shared today. And I really appreciate the fact that, uh, Victoria, thank you for coming up with this idea. I'm sure it's extremely helpful um, to... to uh, to the ones listening uh, about this information, and especially, you know, if you yourself have had an incident or an accident that was aviation-related that impacted you, whether it was friends, family, or in, in another way, uh, share that with us. Tell us how you dealt with it. What were your uh, your your methods of getting through it? Did you did you quit flying? Did you stay in flying? Did you need to take a break? Um, I know I have actually personally met with a couple of listeners whose whose lives have been affected, friends and family members, uh, through a you know a fatal injury. So, it's um, it's <laughs> for for lack of better thi- uh, uh, um, terms, it's just one of those things that sometimes happens. No different than a car accident or something else. And never forget that you know you are in a very in- small enclosed environment moving through Earth's atmosphere. It's just a very volatile activity. Um, so the more training you can do, the more proficiency you can um, you can maintain, the more educa- continual education, these are all tools that are going to help you if uh, a situation, if you ever find yourself in an emergency situation. So um, really, really great conversation, guys. Thank you for all your input. Our Picks of the Week. We'll now move into our picks of the week, the portion of the show, where we share some really interesting aviation products or services that we've either stumbled upon or currently use, um, or uh, etc. So let's start first uh, with Victoria. Tell us about your pick of the week. Sure. Um, my pick of the week is from a website I'm sure we all use called aviationweather.gov. Um, I use that for a lot of flight planning. However, I discovered a while back um, one feature that I think is often overlooked and it's been my favorite to look at lately. It's under the taps uh, section on the drop-down list. It's the aviation forecast discussion. And basically it, it writes out what the TAFs were and how they got to determine that TAF and how it could possibly change. So let's say they put a forecast out but then they'll add something. Um, I pulled up Maryland like an hour ago, and it said, we'll be closing, wa- closely watching the progression of the mesoscale convective system and may have to enhance wind gusts in TAFs to 45 knots. So it's showing what they're thinking, and you can see the process that the weather forecasters are using and how things may change from the TAFs that are published. So I found that really helpful to see what is going through their minds and how they came to these observations. I love that. Uh, that's great because yeah. I love the weather guys I follow are the ones who take use social media and other ways to explain what's going on behind the decision-making because there's so many people who just go, those weather people don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it, it's one of the, it bugs me because there is, a, they, they are working hard and there's a lot of data and they qualify everything. If you dig into it, if you just watch the news at 10, or 11, whatever, you know, you won't hear that background, but the background's there and they're all doing it every day, including the National Weather Service. So this is cool. I didn't know about this. I, I'm going to read those a lot. The, uh, the awesome. comment that being a weatherman is the only job where you can be completely wrong every day at work and still maintain your job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's just, a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, people always, always judge the weather, yeah. but there's a lot that goes into it. You know, what, yep. it's just the way that it is. Um, Fantastic. Great. That's Rick, cool. uh, tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah. So um, my pick of the week is um, 
a basically a kneeboard holder for the iPad, and and the story behind it is is interesting and, and quick. But I, I should say that what's what's really interesting about it is it's uh, coincidentally um, it happens to be a product uh, that is made by our show sponsor. But uh, several months, uh, six months before uh, them even being involved with our show, I made a choice to buy this uh, particular uh, kneeboard. It's the iPro Aviator, and because I have the larger size. Um, iPad. And the reason I did that is I'd been, I had an iPad from kind of the beginning and was using it, using a solution at the time that, that seemed to work for me. And I, I kept that one for several generations. And so I kept using the same solution, but it was sort of attached to that one. And when I upgraded, the attached part kind of was went away and I needed to come up with a new solution. And I was also changing from flying a side, a side stick, um, to uh, to a yoke, and that changed the equation too a little bit about what I needed to hold uh, my iPad, and so I went looking around and basically for me settled on personally on the iPro Aviator. It's called. I like um, the way it, the way it's curved to hold uh, against your leg. I like that I've decided you know I decided early on that you, even if you're going to use an iPad, you've got to have a place to write on a piece of paper because there's too much stuff uh, flying around. Uh, that you need to write down, and there's always going to be, for me, I think there's always going to be paper involved. This has a nice overlay clipboard that holds that. That was a key feature I needed, you know, and the straps are the straps, and it has several other incidental things, and it holds, it holds the iPad well, but those, the, the, the paper part and the way it fits on my leg were important, and um, so I, you know, I, I love it, and I've had it for a while, and has, and coincidentally now, um, they are a sponsor of the show. They also make one for the Mini, that I have no experience with directly, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of people are going in that direction. And um, at some point I may do that too. Uh, but I um, I can sort of personally vouch for the uh, the one for the larger size iPad. And the, 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 our advertiser, of course, is for pilotsonly.com, uh, um, just as a place to look for the iPro Aviator. So that's my pick of the week. Excellent. Uh, my pick of the week is... Uh Funnily enough, the folks that I just recently interviewed, it's aviation. the uh, website's aviationuniverse.us. Now, I went, um, you know, I happened to have some knowledge that this pilot shop was in the uh, my sort of local area, if you will, here in Illinois. Aviation Universe is a, it is a local pilot shop right on the, um, just outside the border of the Chicago O'Hare Airport property. The owners, Richard and uh, Laura, are absolutely fantastic people. In fact, I was when I was interviewing them for episode 51A, which you can uh, you can listen to, it's stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 51A. Uh, that will bring you to the uh, to the episode. Uh, it just gave me goosebumps to be with people who are also so passionate about aviation. Not only do they have the pilot shop, they're they're involved. In the uh, the Chicago O'Hare Airport watch, um, she even they even offered when they didn't didn't um, realize that I was uh, that I had some temporary residence in the local area. They offered to come and pick me up at Chicago O'Hare to bring me to the airport. And what you'll find out in the interview as well is that it's not uncommon for them. Um, some of their international flight crews flying into Chicago, they are, that's just what they're known to do. They'll come to your uh, your hotel, uh, they'll come to the airport, they'll pick you up, they'll bring you over to the shop, and then they'll take you back. Just fantastic people. And like I said in the beginning of the show, they provided some some wonderful coupons for our, our friends and um, folks that were able to attend the 50th Bash. Now, it is a pilot shop. They are online. 
Uh, I highly recommend them, not just uh, because I interviewed them, but also just because they're really awesome people. And, um, you know, visit the website aviationuniverse.us. If there's something on there that you're looking for that they don't have available, give them a call. They said they are more than willing to search uh, for items and help people connect with with the products that they're looking for. So uh, definitely check them out, and I hope you I hope you actually listen to the interview. Uh, you, you'll really enjoy some of the ambiance of being in the pilot shop when the commuter train went down Main Street and you could hear the bells dinging and the train, the locomotive uh, engine in the background. So that adds a little uh, dimension to the uh, to the interview experience and in-the-field interview. But uh, I definitely think you should check them out. But, Carl, take us uh, take us through your pick of the week. You know, just looking at that pilot, I was watching, it, looking at it online in the Aviation Universe. I was like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that got me into aviation, all the cool things that they sell. And, and I recently had another uh, bit of an epiphany and, and a going back, a throwback uh, to an earlier time in my life when I used to read all about aviation and airplanes. And that's my pick of the week. I, I actually rediscovered recently a magazine I used to read years ago called Aviation Week and Space Technology. And I, I don't know why, but I get, I'm excited to actually get every issue now to see what's going on in, in the airline industry. And may, maybe it's because I'm actually flying a, the, some of the planes that are in there. I don't, I'm not sure, but it's nice to see what's happening in the future. But my, my true pick of the week is the AviationWeek.com website, AviationWeek.com. And it's for aviators that are into many different aspects of aviation, either commercial aviation, business aviation, maintenance or defense, and even there's some really cool articles about space. But uh, getting that magazine, I, I, I really got into, you know, the Paris Air Show and reading all about the different orders, and it makes you get involved in the field of commercial aviation, this one magazine, Aviation Week in Space Technology, and it really gets you excited about, hey, what's coming around the corner? It's kind of like, I guess, gearheads that, that like to, to read the car magazines, like what's the new product, who's ordering what, why are they putting these engines on this airplane, how is this engine going to affect efficiency, and, and the trials and tribulations, and it's really, I was looking for something that was news, that was about the commercial airline industry, and, and this is probably uh, one of my favorite ones out there. So AviationWeek.com is the website to go see everything about Aviation Week. The After Landing Checklist. All right. Well, then, in closing, um, if you are interested in getting in touch with us here at the podcast, uh, we have a very easy, simple way. It is stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. From there... You can send us an email. We've got our phone number if you want to leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's comments, concerns, show topics, or ideas. I just recently got one from a listener um, about a really cool topic, somebody that we're going to interview here in, uh, in the next couple of shows. Um, I don't want to give too much information, but it's gonna. It, <laughs> the story blew my mind. So, yeah, we consider everything that we receive. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also find each of the individual co-host contact information right there on that page if you're trying to reach, uh, reach out to one of us specifically, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. Also, a very special thank you to 4pilotsonly.com for sponsoring this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, Victoria Zyko, and Monsieur Sean Moudet. Once again, uh, f- all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, thank you for tuning in to episode number 53. We wish you clear skies and calm winds. Take care.
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.